0: This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. Today, you are going to be in the front row as we take a look back at the legendary career of Springbok Eddie Andrews. Eddie, a very warm welcome to Front Row Rugby. Good afternoon, Pete, and thank you for having me. What we're going to do is start with the trivia question for this week. In 2013, the Springboks beat the Wallabies in a certain Australian city for the first time. Name the city. If you know the answer to that, you can put it in the comment section down below. We'll also find out if Eddie knows the answer, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. So, Eddie, I'd like to begin in 2004 and actually in January. I remember I was working in magazine distribution at the time, and I read an article in one of the local Cape Town newspapers that was actually a feature on you, and the sort of prediction was that this might be the year that you break out into the Springbok squad. How confident were you of doing that? at the beginning of 2004? I think the, it was a whirlwind
1: of a season. Um, I think if you take a, a few steps backwards, uh, just prior to the 2004 season, um, I was still very much in a you know, part of the squad. Uh, in 2003, you had the world under-21 player uh, in, the, in the squad, Pat Barnard. You had Van Reitenbach, who was also a very highly rated player. You had Kubaš Vasaki also at the time, a the late morning, uh, van der de Marva, and um, and so all of these guys were there. And then what happened was interesting. though. I mean, Farn left the Lions. Uh, I think a record-breaking deal at the time. Um, and then uh, Kubaš Vasaki also went to, uh, you know, went to England. I think he played for for Saracens if I recall. And they, uh, you know, he started out the season as a as a sort of a squad player. And here you're fighting it out for the starting berth between Pat Barnard and and myself. And then, of course, we still had uh, Don Human, the current forwards coach for the Springboks, who was then permanently contacted by the Stormers. And, and the, the objective that, the goals at the beginning of that year was uh, just to get into the starting 15. Um, I don't think you, there were any thoughts of, late in the year, playing Springboks, just to cement your place, establish yourself. Build some momentum, and then I suppose you eventually be, you know, come into contention for, for higher honours. Um, and unbeknown to me, it happened about um, five months
0: later. Now we know that Jake White was the coach that called you up, and he took over at quite a low moment in Springbok history. I'm interested to hear from you. What was the general mood like in the Springbok camp when you first arrived there?
1: I think yes, 2003. Uh, we performed poorly at the, at the World Cup. Then uh, you know, there's also the Kamstal that I'd uh, debacle and um, and we were gathered in the in the dining room in um at the hotel out in in at the holiday inn I think it was still, uh, at the time and um and Jake White said a lot of things and he stood up there and he said, We will become the number one ranked team in world rugby. we will restore the pride in sr rugby and we will win the world cup in france now i don't know if he was what is, if he smoked something before he came into the change room or into the dining room, or what he was drinking. Uh, because I'm thinking, do you just know, we've just had a bad year, the morale is slow, uh, the public is massive public, outcry, um, and yeah, you coming and But he was casting vision. And, um, and I think that was uh, very important because the group of players eventually became quite a few centurions uh, in that group of players. Victor Matfield, Jean de Villiers, John Smith, uh, we all bought into that vision, and Jake said, "Guys, it's simple. Uh, you've got a an overball that you that you chase. Uh, there's a rectangular field. The grass is green. Fifteen against fifteen players, and the objective is to score more points than your opponents. And if you focus on what you should be doing as a forward, as a background player, uh, winning will take care of itself. And I think the player uh, grouping at the time bought into that and uh, achieved successes." The very first tournament that we played beat Ireland in the incoming series, and of course won the Tri
0: Nations as it was known uh, in 2004. So, what did it feel like running out for the Springboks for the first time against Ireland? Overwhelming. I think to, to contextualise,
1: I'm you know I was born on the Cape Flats in in Cape Town, uh, predominantly a coloured community. I I did not attend the traditional rugby playing schools like the Bishops, the Paul Boys, Paul Chums, Paul Ruiz's, Rhonda Bosch's. I I attended school at Steenberg High uh, out in the Cape Flats, and standing there and singing the national anthem, it was overwhelming uh, because I was not just representing myself and my family, but more importantly, the hopes and aspirations of many uh, players in the townships on the Cape Flats that hope one day to play professionally. And uh, but I think it's a massive honour. Uh, to, to have been able to represent your country and also, you know, uh, that moment, if as, as you recall, um, you know, just tears streaming down my cheeks,
0: It's uh, just an overwhelming moment uh, and a massive honour. Now, Eddie, just before the Tri-Nations that year, there was a little bit of an anomaly when we played against the Pacific Islands in a test match. What was that experience like? Oh, yes, I remember the first game.
1: I think at that stage, they were just trying to find out how you can have other players participate uh, at, at that level. And there was a once-off game out in Australia. Oh, my goodness, I forget the name. Um, on the outskirts, not in your your major cities. Um, I think it could have been somewhere out in in Melbourne, But, but don't quote me on that. And I remember playing there. Uh, massive honor to have played against them. Uh, those guys are, are physical. They are massive, physically massive. And, and we, we won them. Uh, you know, we beat them on the day. And it was all part of the, the journey and building significant momentum as a team, galvanizing as a team and implementing that that vision and that game plan that we all bought into
0: uh, in that hotel room out in Bloemfontein. So now let's talk about the tri-nations. I want to talk specifically about the away leg. We went over there, played Australia and New Zealand, and in both instances we lost narrowly, and it were two test matches that we probably could have and maybe even should have won. You spoke about the morale and Jake's plan and that talk in Bloemfontein. Given what happened away from home in the Tri-Nations, how much did that do for confidence, especially when you consider that in the previous four or five years, it almost felt like every time we went over there, we lost by 20 points? I think it all
1: started, Peter, with the the, win against, the, the series win against Ireland. Uh, we then also uh, beat beat Wales, uh, I think it's in Pretoria, and we sort of build, was building some some momentum heading into the Tri-Nations. And, of course, the litmus test is always when you play against the All Blacks and also to a certain extent Australia as well and we were always confident that if we, we, we continue and we, we, we sustain our focus on our game plan we will be successful. The game against the All Blacks we disappointed that i have beaten them at home and sort of just break their, their unbeaten run at home. We did the, the video analyses and we felt there were opportunities that we could have capitalized on during the Game, but overall, coming that close and, and leaving there with bonus points as well, really set us up for a uh, a final, if you will, uh, playing Australia uh, out in in Durban. But it's all about the confidence. I think when you go to New Zealand, even before you sing your your anthem, you need to have a, a an embedded belief that you can beat them um, at home. That's All Blacks. That is, and and you've got to display that uh, every single minute and build momentum, because if you don't, they'll run away with you. And I think that's what the confidence we took out of those two games that we've, at the back end of 2003, the poorly performed, building some nice momentum. We we took massive uh, confidence from those
0: two uh, close losses. Now let's talk about the home leg of the Tri-Nations. We played the All Blacks first up at Ellis Park before that match against the Aussies down in Durban. And it was a memorable victory for the Springboks, wasn't it?
1: Yes, I think uh, to be part of the game against All Blacks at Ellis Park where Marius Schubert scored three magnificent tries, it was just surreal. I mean, we, we weren't sure if this was the All Blacks we were playing against, but it was, again, the the momentum that we've built as a team. And at that stage... We had some useful momentum and beating the All Blacks uh, convincingly on the day was, I think, um, even the guys that that play for the Springboks, you never get to beat the All Blacks. And to beat them convincingly, as we did, was really a, a massive feather in our cap and set us up nicely
0: for the final game against Australia out in in Durban a game which we won of course and became the tri-nations champions which was a miraculous turnaround really when you consider that probably about nine months before that we'd been dumped out of the rugby world cup in the quarterfinals uh and not really in the best of fashions so let's then talk about what happened after that eddie uh 2004 end of year tour to england ireland scotland and wales and i remember we lost quite heavily against england at twickenham and Jake White in his post-match interview described it as men against boys. How tough was that tour? It
1: was very tough. I think touring the UK at the end of the year, it always be tough, just the weather conditions uh, itself. And you play at Twickenham. Uh, Twickenham can be very intimidating. I think what happened there was, in terms of the loss there, there was, we had some nice momentum in the first half. And then the wheels just sort of came falling off and we lost against England. Uh, And then when you start doubting yourself as a team and that, you know, of course, uh, continued on to the remaining games on the tour. And I think we managed to claw back one uh, victory further down the line. Um, as well so so yeah I think it's always tough touring there but it's all about the the momentum and England also too we have to be mindful that they were the 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 world champions at the time they've just beaten they just won the World Cup the the year prior to that and it was touted as the the game of the season the the tri-nations champions the north versus south Uh, and uh, of course the the north that day uh, beat us convincingly at, at Twickenham uh, and I suppose also if you look at the team so you've got Johnny Wilkinson uh, you've got Martin Johnson. So they're a, they're a strong team. We, and if you look at Jake when he, with his um, uh, media interviews, he always speaks about experience in the teams. And he would all often mention the amount of caps that the team as a collective would have or the tight five would have. And I think in that context, he was looking at the experience that, that England has built up uh, and also post the World Cup and how successful they were, I suppose, uh, was aptly described the performance of the day.
0: On to 2005, and we beat the Australians three times, uh, including a a win over in Perth. We beat the All Blacks in uh, Cape Town at Newlands, and then we went over there, and we lost what I still think is one of the best rugby matches that I've actually ever watched. Uh, Just disappointing that we were on the wrong end of the scoreline, but it was quite dramatic uh, the way that it uh, turned out there uh, in Dunedin, as I recall. Um, In my opinion, that was actually the peak of the Springboks under J. Jake I know that we would go on to win the World Cup, but I, I think that at that moment we were at our very best under White, despite losing to the All Blacks over there. What do you think? I do. I think, you know, I'm, I'm speaking a lot about the momentum, and I think it's important
1: that we understand and appreciate that, purely because you've got a group of players who initially... Uh, doubted that we could actually restore the pride in SA rugby. We could become world champions in 2007 and the number one ranked team in in the world. And the fact that you've been able to su- sustain our our addiction in a positive way confirms, you know, what you've described there as well. And for us, it was. It was, yes, the losses are painful, uh, but it's all about how we performed throughout the game, the full 18 minutes and the analysis thereof. And we, leave, we left that game also feeling very confident that um, we've stuck to our game plan, uh, one or two errors. And at that level, when you drop the ball, when there's a forward pass or missed tackle, uh, you know, your opponents will capitalize on it and you've got either three points or, or seven points against you. And so it's so it all about momentum and building up Uh, you know, useful experience uh, leading into the 2007 World Cup. And then in 2006, you actually became more of a bench player. What happened there? Yeah, look, then we had quite a few, uh, you know, props coming through. We've had BJ Bota. We had uh, Githra Stienkamp also coming through and, um, and Yanni. Uh, I think Yanni also came through at the time. Competition was quite quite tough. I was benched in the squad, out of the squad, and uh, a very frustrating period as well. Having started in my my year one in the Springbok setup, all 13 of the of the Springboks. uh, test that yeah. so yeah but co- competition is always good and healthy for any team and I think you know you've got uh, and CJ of course became the starting tight end uh, CJ, Austin and, and John and, and Yanni Diplese and Gerthra being the backup players
0: and so yeah so that's effectively what happened um, yeah, the other players were selected ahead of me. And then in 2007 you were selected to go on the away leg of the Tri-Nations um, I know that that was very much a reserve side. Did you know at that moment that you were unlikely to get to go to the world cup?
1: well, by then you you knew that you sort of you, you've got an opportunity. Uh, you also look at this, the previous year and how the the players performed um, and the fact that Jake had a a bigger squad for that particular year. You would also recall. Um, he pulled in Kubus um, Vasage at the time, who was still playing out in in the UK, and and that was the the team that that went uh, abroad. So so no, you always you know you play and, and you the object is always to get back into the green and gold. Uh, but you know it's tough, and I think you've got no control of the selection. You only have control over what you can do on the field. Um, and I eventually could not go, but that was not because of not being selected. But because of the an injury at the time, that eventually resulted in in uh, calling it quits at the end of the day professionally.
0: How disappointing was it that it had to end that way for you? Well, I think at that stage, when I got the call to go to the to the World Cup, um, I had to tell
1: Peter Ustah um, thank you, um, but I am injured and I won't be physically be ready to 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 join the squad. And that was the most painful moment I think in my professional, uh, possibly and personal career as well, where you. Um, you should have been part of the team and uh, you could not. And then, of course, they would go and win the World Cup and watch that final, I think, was, um, was uh, comforting to know that the, the past four, five, four years of working it as a squad, that's exactly what has now happened. The experience has been built and gained over time. And we, of course, we beat, uh, we were victorious in, in the final. But yeah, very, very painful to not have been part of it because, because of injury, but it's the nature of sport anyway. So, Eddie, who was your toughest opponent? Peter, I think um, that All Blacks game against, um, uh, well, All Blacks against Keith Muse, And 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 Keith Muse was a tight hit. And so what happened was they played him lucid. And so I had to, to scrum against Keith Smuse. And what a what a, a brick of a man. I mean, solid as a rock, um, uh, you know, and and was difficult to get any inches over him at scrum time. So I would argue that he would have been Um, if you're looking at, um, you know, outside of Africa, uh, my toughest opponent. But of course, also the old horse uh, legend in his own right, Oz Durant, Um, whenever if you're not in the starting 15. Um, and then you have to be the B team and scrum against the A team, then and I would have a good tussle at well. So, um, so I think those two would rank right up. There's the toughest loose
0: heads that I faced in my professional career. I know a lot of these stories are not necessarily for public consumption, but is there a particularly funny or memorable moment that you can share with us from your time with the Springboks?
1: Peter, yes, I remember um, part of the, the, the coaches talk to the team and Jake White. Um, always said a lot of things, and he said to, to Bacchus Bota, Bota, um um you must use, well, he said it up because I'm going to translate it in English. He said, Bacchus Bota, you've got to use your head when you when you play rugby, please. And so Bakis of course, um understood that literally, And whenever he used to go on the field, he would literally use his head and headbutt players on the field. And we had a good laugh. And we said, Bucky's not necessarily physically, but just figuratively speaking, whenever you go, keep the emotion intact, be physical, but play within the parameters of, of, of the game. So you actually stay on for the full 80 minutes and not being given
0: a yellow card and rest for 10. That's a great story. So Eddie, um, in terms of what you're up to these days, I know that you are the executive deputy mayor in Cape Town. What does a typical day entail for you? Well,
1: exactly. So the executive
0: deputy mayor is of course the running
1: mate for the mayor and you take all his hospital passes that he gives to me. Uh, His diaries, uh, there are quite a few competing priorities and so that whatever he can't attend to, I have to attend to. That's the one portfolio. And I also have my my primary portfolio, so I'm responsible for spatial planning and the environment in in the city of Cape Town. And and, and this directorate would include uh, the office where you submit building plans. It also includes um, our nature reserves, the 21 nature reserves, excuse me, our 307-kilometer coastline. Uh, We also have our uh, city improvement districts where people pay extra taxes for additional services. Um, and so these are the key departments within my primary portfolio, and that is what uh, what I focus on. And all, all of that tying into our, our our business plan for this term of office, we've got seven major programs, and that would include reducing our reliance on ESCOM on and having additional diversifying our power supply, ensuring that all our public open spaces, our water bodies, our streets are clean, um, ensuring a safer Cape Town. Uh, fighting for the, for the management of public rails function in Cape Town and expanding our existing My City Bus program. Uh, also, looking at how do we uh, take our service delivery offering into the digital phase and becoming a smart city. And these are key programs. And, and the most important one apologies uh, would be releasing land to both the public and the private sector for human settlements. Uh, people come to cities for opportunities, they need places to stay and we need to uh, plan accordingly to accommodate uh, all of those uh, coming to Cape Town and, and everything we do responding to the impact of rapid urbanization. So I'm scumming down for a different team, um, but I think it's real soul, it needs all of your mind's energy and focus, dedication and commitment to sustain traction. And like in sport, when we were always told in scrum time, the scrums or rugby is all about inches. And I think the same apply, aptly applies to, to government. It's all about the inches sustaining traction, and over time, you'll make those and achieve those objectives that you've set out, navigating the, the bureaucracy that we find ourselves in.
0: So, Eddie, there's actually a little bit of a track record of uh, former uh, sportsmen uh, becoming politicians. If we look in the Philippines, Manny Pacquiao, the famous world champion boxer, was a congressman and a senator, and I think he ran for president unsuccessfully. Uh, In Brazil, Pele was the minister of sport at one stage. In Zimbabwe, Kirsty Coventry, the the swimmer, is is actually the minister of sport uh, at this moment in time. Uh, In the United States, this is probably the most bizarre one of them all. Uh, A former WWE wrestler became the governor of Minnesota. Sota. And uh, cricket has given us a prime minister, Imran Khan in Pakistan, and football has given us a president uh, in Liberia, George Weyer. So I think we're going to need to root here for you so you can become rugby's first president. What do you say? Oh, wow. yeah, I'm, I'm
1: fairly confident that my, uh, my path back to sport will, uh, that's there eventually, I don't know when. Um, but, uh, but sport's still very dear to my heart. I work closely with my sporting uh, colleagues and other di- directorates. Um, But I also, Peter, don't forget, uh, in Australia, we've got David Pocock, who's also now a senator uh, in, uh, in Australia, legend, of course, in his own right and stepped into politics as an independent candidate. So well done to, to him. I mean, he had to really uh, get the electorate behind him to get a seat in in, in the Senate. So, yes, yeah, I think the, the, the benefit of being a sports person, you have a different perspective over and above the, the political agenda. you also engage with other stakeholders at all levels, and you're able to understand what the issues are and, and making it a well informed decision and taking everything into context and that's what i what i love about being in politics that you're able to influence processes some days are good some days are bad but the reality is uh, you need to forge ahead sustain traction and you make
0: you will make impact all right eddie let's take a look at the trivia question again then from earlier in 2013 the springboks beat the wallabies in a certain australian city for the first time name the city Do you know the answer, Eddie? Um, I'm going to take a guess. I'm going to say Perth. Ooh, no, no, no. Other side of the country. Brisbane is the correct answer. Eddie, let me say thank you very, very much for being a guest on Front Row Rugby here today. It was really lovely to have you on. And if you do one day become the president, I hope that you'll come and visit us again, and then we'll have a president on the show uh, for the very first time. Yes, I definitely do. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Last time on Front Row Rugby, I had 1995 Rugby World Cup winner Yarpy Milder on the show. You can go and have a look at that video. It's appearing on your screen right now. Next time, we'll have another 1995 Rugby World Cup winner and 1998 Tri-Nations winner, Mark Andrews. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.